Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. The team at Cobra Golf are set to introduce additions to its collection of king putters, making the offerings available in a sleek black colorway, the perfect complement to the limited edition black LTDX drivers and king black wedges. The lineup of black putters includes both king 3D printed and king vintage series models, along with two new mallet styles, the king Cuda and Cuda 40. All King Collection putters come standard with the Cobra Superstroke Traction Tour 2.0 grip and KBS Tour 120 shaft. The new additions to the King 3D printed and vintage series will be available from July this year. For more information on the entire King family of products, visit cobragolf.com. This is the 19th take here in Marsh. Nathan Drudy back with you for another week. Drudster, bid on. In the world of golf, we had the Memorial Tournament over the weekend. We had a blistering debut on the LPGA Tour. We had a handful of Australians uh, vying for a spot in the Men's US Open and a couple of announcements on the home front as well. So a bit to get through this week. A pleasure to have your company as always, man. Uh, it's exciting to be back. We had a week off last week, so it is nice to... Nice to be back, and we even had an extra extra day off to uh, you know coincide with the uh, legislative requirements of not working a public holiday yesterday here in WA. So that was that's nice. exactly right. It wouldn't have been a uh, altogether relaxing public holiday for you, just trying to keep your head above water over there in the west. Uh, yes, but what I'm seeing and reading and <laughs> looking at you now, it's it's not just wet; it's cold. By the yes. looks of things, so I think we're at eight degrees at the minute. Um, probably a little colder inside, and yeah, just um, I think I. Worked out before I said to you, just under 100 mil of rain in 24 hours. So that's been fun. A less than enjoyable public holiday for our mm. listeners in the West. Uh, so our thoughts uh, with you all. Hope you're dry. Hope there's not too much damage around the house from that uh, inclement weather. Drewster, a bit to get through as we flagged. We'll start at Muirfield, uh, where Victor Hovland secured a fourth victory uh, on the PGA Tour for his career today, which in and of itself... Uh, begins to elevate him into, I suppose, more distinguished company than he's, than he's previously been in. But I think an important win in the context of his career, uh, certainly the story to date has been some near misses, um, particularly this year, you know, a T3 at the Players, T7 at the Masters, T2nd at the most recent PGA Championship. Um, but across the career, the other three wins have been, I suppose, what you what you call resort golf, although mm-hmm. it's not necessarily been the strongest uh, fields or tournaments, so doesn't get much bigger um, uh, than it being at Jack's place at Muirfield there in the Memorial, one of the designated events across the season, an incredible field. He comes from four shots back on the back nine. It really kind of does feel like, I mean, I, we, we've spoken a lot about Victor so far this year and the rich vein of form that he's in. It felt like a natural progression and really good to see him get a result in a in a truly meaningful tournament. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that's always been the uh, the next step. You know, we've said he's won Maricoba twice and Puerto Rico as well, of course. Um, so it was it was where does he go next? Um, and he needed to claim the scalp of one of the bigger so-called tournaments, uh, which he did, um, of course, over the weekend. But I, I think, you know, the, now the natural progression is is the major and, and where does that, 
um, come into it. You know, he's had three very good results in his last three majors, finishing inside the top 10, but hasn't shown a, a great deal before that. So I think that's now the next step for Victor. Um, obviously, you know, we always love to then uh, project how how quickly that might happen. But, um, you know, I think I'm I'm very pleased to see him claim a big title because he's he's such a, a likable guy. Obviously, we saw him jump straight on the bag for a former teammate in, in the US Open qualifying and stuff like that. So he's very, very likable. I think we've always uh, backed him on the on this show anyway. Um, and, and yeah, it's just been a matter of, you know, when, not if um, he gets one of these bigger tournaments under his belt, which he's, uh, which he's happened to do over the weekend. Absolutely. I think what I've found most impressive about his game this year uh well probably a couple of things to be honest i i do certainly feel as though he has significantly narrowed the gap between his ceiling and his floor Mm -hmm. that's always been i think one of the largest criticisms of victor's games no one's ever doubted his best golf you know he kind of came through in the class with morikawa Mm -hmm. uh, wolf as well at the time um probably uh, a little bit of a gap to someone like a Sam Burns. So, like, he's definitely in that generation. But, you know, we've seen Morikawa particularly go on and win two majors in that time. And we've wanted to see Victor deliver on his potential. I think a large part of why we're seeing consistent performances and results emerge is narrowing the gap between his best and worst golf. So mm. that, that, for me, is the most impressive thing. Secondary to that, he's showing a lot of fight. I kind of I think I flagged this when we wrapped up the PGA. Like the final round at Augusta was disappointing. I think he really positioned himself well, and you know the ball didn't just drop his way on that Sunday at Augusta National. I was really impressed by the manner in which he fought and really took it to Brooks. Like he made Brooks earn it, albeit mm-hmm. for an errant shot on the 16th where he doubled, which eventually cost him the tournament. He took it right down to the wire. And we've seen that again. You know, I mentioned four shots back entering the the back nine um, at the Memorial. He needed a birdie on an 18 to send it to a playoff, and it wasn't a short one either. Um, you know, we see him still have some um, flubbed chip shots across the weekend, which for most players uh, would get inside your head in such a crucial moment, and particularly a player who's had a lot of focus on him with wedge in hand. But he just seems to... Uh, I think be a lot more mature in the way he's handling these scenarios. And that's natural. It comes with age, but he's taken a significant step in that space this season, which I think has really elevated his game. I kind of ran through those results, the big tournaments. We flagged mm. it after the PGA. He's now the only player to finish in the top 10 in the last three majors. He is like, he's there. And, and, and I kind of feel like he's on a bit of a precipice in the sense of this probably turns into either a sustained run for the next 18 months or it runs the risk of being a flash in the pan. And I'm fascinated to see which direction it goes in. Well, I think we're going to measure the the mark by, you know, he might win another one or two events in the next 18 months, but I think one of them has to be a major. Mm. I think that's the, the, the critical part for, for him right now. Um, you know, four PGA tour wins, another couple worldwide. So, he, for him to truly take that next step, I think he's, I don't have the number in front of me. I think he's four or five in the world or six or something like that. He's in the top 10, right? So he has to start to 
showcase some of that and truly get get close at majors. And he's got two chances left this year. Um, and then if we, we project for that 18 months, he's got another four next year. So six six opportunities to, to win a major. I'm not sure where the venues are for the US Open and the PGA uh, and, and the, uh, the Open next year. But I think, um, you know, I'm not sure about this year's venues necessarily. I don't know. LA Country Club, maybe, maybe an opportunity. Um, I think, you know, just looking at data golf here and taking a, a quick sidebar, obviously finished first in strokes gain total. But the one that really stands out to me is strokes gain putting. If he finished third mm. um, for, for the week, um, the guy he was in the playoff with, Denny McCarthy, was uh, first actually overall. But um, it's often been something that we've not necessarily written home about for, for Victor Hovland is his putting, obviously, I think more famously his chipping and uh, has been the um, the more publicized error in his game. He sits 70th on the tour for strokes game putting. So for him to come out and deliver a good performance, it's, uh, there's a little bit of Colin Morikawa in that, in that it's if he putts well, does he win because the rest of his game is so strong? And if he can deliver a good putting week, one in every five, weeks he's going to have a pretty good record by the time he retires so yeah there's a bit to obviously think about with Victor Hovland in in terms of the trajectory in which he goes but I think it's probably a little bit of a monkey off the back um, to get a big tournament uh, next to his name anyway uh, just to revert back, he's currently fifth okay. in the world uh, on the OWGR I, I mean take that how you like because sure. they aren't necessarily I mean I think personally he's currently like a snapshot in time right now I think he's probably the third best golfer in the world personally um, you know from an OWGR perspective he sits behind Patrick Cantlay which is funny to me uh, and also Rory McIlroy who currently sits third who I would have him above right now um, so I, I mean uh, uh, off the back of that win I see him only probably sitting currently behind um, Ram and Scheffler in any order. Uh, so that's the opportunity that he has ahead of him at the moment. I mean, you look at his season so far, this, I wouldn't say surprised me, but I definitely kind of scrolled back over it to reread. Uh, 16 starts to date in the 2022-23 season. One win, of course, uh, that being his victory at the Memorial. One runner-up. Uh, being his tie for second at the PGA Championship, seven top tens, twelve top twenty-fives, and hasn't missed a cut mm. so far this year. Speaks to the consistency. So yeah, he's 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 right there, and I think uh, I like for mine. I kind of flagged it there. Like when we're going into tournaments now, we, we talk about Scheffler, we talk about Ram, we have to start talking about Brooks. Um, from a major's perspective, given his performances in the first two, I think he I think he deserves to be at the lead of whatever that next tier is. Uh, LA Country Club, I think, sets up well. It sets up well for a lot of people. It's probably the only the only uh, challenge for Victor is he's he's not going to have you know a noticeable advantage at LA Country Club. Royal Liverpool will be interesting, um, and then I think he's going to have a big part to play in in the Ryder Cup come September. 
that that will be an enormous platform for him. So he he's got a real opportunity, I think, to push himself into a different tier by the end of the calendar year twenty twenty three. Last thing for me on Victor official prize money. Give me a give me a number. I don't know if so, it's today or not. No idea. Four wins. I'm going to say it doesn't include today because on the PGA Tour's website, it still says he only has three wins, which I don't know. Maybe they could have updated, but, you know. Okay. So four, four wins. He's had a runner-up at a major this year. He's had seven top 10s, 12 top 25. So when he's not winning, he's still earning money. I'm going to say... Eleven million, double it, twenty-two. Jesus! So he's done pretty well for himself as Victor. He's like uh, mid twenties. That's absurd. <laughs> yeah, he's done pretty well for himself. I mean, expensive place to live, uh, Norway. Not that he lives there, but you know, expensive, no. expensive place. Probably so. owns some property. That's incredible. So yes, That's absolutely incredible. Good on you, Victor. Uh, yeah, and I, I think he like just last thing for me is. He is just endlessly likable, mm-hmm. you know, just a very genuine person, it seems, uh, you know, evidenced by the fact you, you mentioned he jumped on the bag for one of his old Oklahoma State teammates at US Open qualifying, literally like bloodshot eyes. Like, he, he's enjoyed himself the night after winning the Memorial and he's early the next morning, he's carrying the bag in US Open sectional qualifying for his mate who he went to college with. I think that speaks volumes of the individual, and I think that's why he is widely popular uh, because people find him relatable, which increasingly is probably difficult for professional golfers to be. So, Mm. yeah, one of the good guys, one that I'm happy to root for and and see do well. Uh, Were there any other takeaways for you? I I got a few things. um, Mm, I just got got a flag. Yeah, two players I just want to pull out. One, and they might be quite similar. Um, yep. Jordan Spieth at T5, I just wanted to uh, mention that. Obviously, um, had you know a relatively consistent week. Uh, shot up nine places today. I mean, he, his season's been a little bit all over the place, to be honest. I mean, looking back at... Mm. Um, Looking back at his results, I mean, cut at the Charles Schwab, T29 at the PGA, cut at the Wells Fargo, and then he had uh, four top tens in in a spate of six uh, events. So he was in good form, but seems to have just dropped away in the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, Sort of post-Masters hasn't been great, aside from the the RBC where he he was the runner-up, and and some pretty rough scores as well seven over five over four over so um yeah just thought i'd, I'd mention jordan spieth given that he's uh put together a nice round there and then the only other one i just uh, was calling out was adam scott just continues a, a good little run for him another top 10 uh he finished t5 at the wells fargo t8 at the byron nelson and his last tournament that he played was t29 at the pga championship which i think is probably around uh, is probably going to be close to to Adam Scott's ceiling from from here on out. I mean, Rory's there as well. I don't know if he was one of your players, but I don't really have a great deal of energy to talk about where Rory no. Roy is at the minute. Uh, he wasn't, um, and, and and nor do I. Only to say that I think probably just accentuating 
the significance of Hovland's win is this was a quality field. Oh yeah, like it, you look at you look at the players and the caliber of player that were within probably four shots of the lead after fifty four holes, and that he should emerge from that group mm. uh, should only should only serve to to leave you more impressed by yeah. that victory. Mm-hmm. Um, just on Spieth, I think um it's difficult to get a gauge on where we're at because I think if you view that performance through the lens of a player who only a few weeks ago withdrew from his favorite, or I shouldn't say, I don't know the man personally, I shouldn't speak on his path. One of his favorite events on the tour being the AT&T Byron Nelson in Dallas in Texas due to a, what was considered to be a debilitating wrist injury, which put his PGA championship at risk. He ended up playing, didn't light the house on fire, and now he finishes in a tie for fifth, three shots off the, the win. If you view it through that lens, I'm like, well, shit, that's pretty impressive. Mm. Right? But there's a part of me that I'm just not entirely certain of where he's at in the sense of I will remain endlessly hopeful that I will again see him win a major. I I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's there anymore. I, I think it's probably there to be competitive and maybe jag a win or two here or there on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. But I just... Yeah, I'm, I I think I'm just... A, I won't say I'm indifferent because I, I love him. He will forever be my favorite player. But it's just... I just don't know where he's at. Yeah. Because it's hard to marry up not being able to barely swing a club three weeks ago to, you know, tying for fifth in this. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up with like a runner-up in the Canadian Open next week and then <laughs> like, you know, tie Miss, for 35th fifth in the US Open. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I'm just, it, uh, yeah, it's just a bit hard to get a gauge on where Jordan's at. That's fair. Um, my my two players that I wanted to mention, um, Ricky Fowler, mm-hmm. again, uh, has had another good week. Uh, T90 right alongside there with Scotty and Matt Fitzpatrick, uh, two under, so five shots off the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah, his, his season... Probably just want to keep him on notice because I think he probably goes to two places now. He he was an outside pick for me at Oak Hill for the PGA Championship. He was my roughie. I think he was about 70s or 80s. Realistically, it was a course that didn't suit him. Uh, LA Country Club, Royal Liverpool, they will even the field a bit. And I think the level at which he's playing, he he should factor. Not going to win, I don't think. I don't even think he's maybe finishes like three, but maybe some top tens in majors. And that for me becomes an intriguing conversation around the Ryder Cup and whether or not he's starting to play himself. He's not going to be an automatic selection, mm. but Zach Johnson has six selections up his sleeve, uh, the way they've re- revamped that format for the Americans and the Europeans. So does he come back in the calculations there? Um, not sure if you've got a, you know, a quick instinct thought on Ricky Fowler, but I, I just think it's uh, another player I, I genuinely have a soft spot for and I love seeing him back where he's at at the moment. Totally agree. I think I, I would put him in my top three favourite players to watch. I think the game is absolutely, we talk about moving the needle and, and Ricky does that in, in spades. Um, the thing that impressed me, just looking at the stats, he's 16th in strokes gained off the tee and I think that's probably been a big part of his game where he struggled is, is off the tee. 
still finished uh, 41st for strokes gain putting, um, which I would suggest is probably losing strokes on the field, which I think is the other part of the game. Uh, he's always been a very, very good iron player. So, yeah, good. Uh, I agree. Good to see him coming back into a little bit of form. It's been sustained to a, to an extent, I think. Um, so, yeah, it does raise a, a couple of questions around the, the, um, the Ryder Cup as to whether he's a pick there. I don't know. Maybe we'll debate that at another time. We might have to see who the six are that get picked first. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the other player I wanted to mention, Scotty Scheffler. So yes, sorry, I also is, had this as well. So you go and I'll piggyback. Yeah, this is fascinating. So he he has finished uh, in third place. One stroke away from joining the playoff between Victor Hovland and Danny McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, one of the rounds of the day, I'm just scrolling down, he was five under um, on Sunday. It might, in fact, be the round of the day. Looks as though it was. So, yeah, low round. Low round of the final round of five under to get himself into contention. His putter is like abysmal at the moment yes and i just like i just want to read you a stat that i rolled across from justin ray uh he gained 20.67 strokes tita green at the memorial Mm -hmm. but but lost 8.52 putting yes so his differential it's 29.19 strokes. That is comfortably, I'm reliably informed by at Justin Ray Golf, the best stats man in the game, comfortably the largest differential between those two statistics in the shot link era since 2004 of any tournament. Yeah. So I think you can view it through, again, two lenses. It's This guy is so close, like... He is so utterly dominant in every other facet of the game. All he has to do is get his putter back towards even and he's going to run away with tournaments. Or you can choose to view it as this is trouble Mm. because he will continue to get close, but maybe the putter's worse than we think at first glance. And there are some significant issues here that may prevent him from winning a significant amount of tournaments moving forward. I think I think he's going to win a lot. I think he's still going to, yeah. he's going to win a lot. So uh, this I was going to piggyback off this and, and circle back. So out of the five key strokes gained categories, he led four of them. Strokes yep. gained around the green approach, off the tee, and tee to green, and finished 65th putting. So mm. that's that is truly remarkable. Um. And yeah, finished just one shot back and, and could have easily won the tournament by 10 strokes. So yeah, that's phenomenal stuff Look, from Scotty, from Scotty Scheffler. Let me be really clear. I, I do in fact think it's the first one. I think it's yeah. we just fix the putter and it slots out. Um, because to your point, he leads four of five strokes gain categories. So the, the outlier, the anomaly is the putting, right? You would yeah. think that it has to revert back to the mean. I'm not. We're not even thinking that he's going to gain strokes. He just has to revert back to 
remaining average because yeah. to to lose the best part of nine strokes with your putter and still finish second or third, sorry, in the tournament by a stroke of mm-hmm. missing the playoff is absurd. Losing the better part of nine strokes with your putter. That's that's insane. Yeah, that's truly crazy. <laughs> that, spells, that spells trouble, I think, for the remainder of the field looking two weeks down the barrel at the US Open at the LA Country Club. Uh, just briefly wrapping up the Australians in the field. So you mentioned uh, Adam Scott. I'm yep. just trying to go back to my leaderboard here. Here we go. He was the highest finishing Australian at T9. And in fact, the only Aussie that made the cut. So Jason Day missed the cut. Lucas Herbert missed the cut. Cam Davis and David Michaluzzi also missed the cut. Good run in terms of starts for Mika. Uh, he's mm. obviously had the event, uh, the Byron Nelson in Dallas. He gets his start at the PGA. He's here in a significant event at Muirfield in the Memorial. So uh, not necessarily playing weekends, but a good run of events for Mika, which is excellent. Agreed. Where do you want to go? Yes. So this is this is for as excited as we are about Victor's win because of our personal, I suppose, love for the man and, and appreciation of his game. In terms of significant wins in golf, what happened on the LPGA this weekend was quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there'd be a percentage of our listeners who'd never heard the name Rose Zhang. And not that you'd be expected to. She literally turned professional last week. The, her win on the LPGA also happened to be her debut on the LPGA as a professional. Now, those that have um, will have heard her name by virtue of quite literally a historical college golfing career. Mm. Uh, she played for the Stanford women's team. We'll run through a few of her college stats in a moment. Um, but... Maybe save for Lorena Ochoa, widely regarded as the greatest college golfer, male or female, of all time. That doesn't always translate. We've seen it. It doesn't always translate. And it goes the other way. Tiger Woods wasn't overly impressive in his time at Stanford Golf, and he is the greatest player of all time. But to make the progression, to start and then win... I just want to get your, your your immediate reaction on, I suppose, your thoughts on the significance of that victory. Because I, I actually think, I, I think it's quite special. It's well, it's a it's the biggest golf story of the week, mm-hmm. um, quite comfortably. I mean, look, I I'd probably maybe paid a little bit a bit more attention at the college level because I enjoy that side of the game. Um, and we kind of knew that she was going to be very special and what she was able to achieve in, in her college career was extraordinary um, in terms of both individual and team success that she had with the, with the Stan Cardinal. Um, but to come out and win your maiden professional event on the biggest stage of your very short career and the highest level of competition that you can get is actually incredible. And I think probably I was, you know, maybe not paying as much attention to this event. You know, I was checking the score every now and then. And then I was like, holy shit, like this is actually her first 
event as a pro and you jump on Twitter and you see a lot more information and a lot more people talking about it and it just attracted eyeballs and and I know she had a bit of a stumble uh today I think it was she had a yeah had a 74 a two over 74 which pushed her into a um a, a playoff with Jennifer Cupcho but yeah it's it's a hell of a start to a career to go out particularly that third round that's that's six under 66 bogey free I believe as well incredible and and then Pocket four hundred and twelve thousand in one event. I mean, pack it up there. I reckon for the year, just have a spell. Just like quite incredible to look at who she stared down as well. Like you mentioned, obviously goes into the playoff with Cup Show. Uh, You're looking at others who were around the mark heading into that final day. Leona Maguire, Yuka Sasso, Daniel Kang, Atai Titikul, Madeline Sagstrom, Jin Young Ko, Averian Minji Lee, Anna Norquist, Emily Pedersen. Uh, like, this is a player in her first professional start, a player who we all knew was headed in that direction. Like, there was no doubt in anyone's mind but you'd be forgiven in your first start at that level to not stumble, but maybe find your feet, work your way in. It's a different, you've gone from literally pushing your own bag around at college golf, albeit in some fantastic facilities because they play that all around the world. Stanford has one of the best from a golfing facility perspective, but to being in the locker room, rubbing shoulders with, people who you've no doubt looked up to for the last couple of years you'd look to emulate you'd be forgiven because it's an age-old story it's happened time and time again for maybe taking a couple of weeks to work your way into it to have the presence of mind to step up overcome a disappointing final round get yourself into a playoff and i don't know if you saw the shot into 18 the second playoff hole took a fairway wood pretty sure it was three um and put it to four foot and Cup Show had no answer. Like the stones to do that, just incredible. So just just a quick rundown of her college career, just to give you a flavor if you're not familiar. Uh, 12 Stanford victories in just 20 events. Mm-hmm. That's the most in Stanford's history. She's tied with Lorena Ochoa for the most in Pac-12 women's golf history. If you're not familiar with Lorena Ochoa, do yourself a favor, look up the name. Eight victories alone this season, 2022-23, in just 10 events. 80% of the events she started this year, she won. It's the tie, That's tied for the most in women's collegiate golf history, tied with Tiger Woods for most in Stanford golf history in a single season. She twice set the NCAA single-season scoring average record with a 68.81 in her sophomore season and then a 69.68 in her freshman she set the NCAA career scoring average record with 69.24 in 62 career rounds. She averaged under 70 across 62 rounds in college golf. Mm-hmm. She's a two-time WGCA golfer of the year, two-time Annika award winner, two-time NCAA individual champion, the first woman ever to accomplish that achievement, two-time first-team All-American, 2023 Pac-12 champion, 2023 Augusta National Women's Amateur champion, 2021 U.S. Girls Junior, 2020 U.S. Women's Amateur, three-time McCormick Medal winner, 2022 Honda Sport Award for Golf, 2022 Pac-12 Golfer and Freshman of the Year. 
that's the re- that's the resume across a couple of years at Stanford. It is truly. It makes you wonder, and you hate doing this. But that's the that's the platform from which she's launched. Mm. She's rocked up and won her first LPGA tour title. Inevitably, golf is is known for its ebbs and flows. There will be troughs, undoubtedly, as there are peaks. But it truly makes you wonder what she's capable of. Well, I mean, you run through the, all of that sort of stuff that you've just gone through, and the sky is genuinely the limit for her. She. I, you probably mentioned it in there, but the only player to have won two individual championships at the NCAA level um, on the female side, if we just compare that to the men's side as well, there's only only been a handful that have got multiple. Richard Crawford, Dexter Cummings, George Dunlap, Fred Lamprecht, Scott Simpson have all won two. And the only two players to have won three individual NCAA titles, Ben Crenshaw and Phil Mickelson. So there's two, four, five, six, seven, eight players, and she's one of them. And she's doing it in arguably the toughest, the toughest, most competitive period that women's golf has ever been in. Um, So she's, she's truly special and she could be something very, very special in the long term. And, um, you know, she's had a taste of the genuine, the the big stage uh, prior to her turning pro in terms of the Augusta National Women's Amateur. She played in a US Open. So she's been on the big stage already. She kind of understands what's going on. So for her to come out, as you say, find her feet straight away and just launch and win is, is truly special. And I, I think it's going to be, she could be someone who really attracts a whole new level of fan to the game as well. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. I think to watch what Rosanne can do over the next 20 years of her career. I yeah. Think and I fascinating. think so for context, she went onto the today show in America <laughs> the next morning. Yeah. Right. That's what, that's, that's what we're talking about here. So straight onto an appearance on the, on the today show, today breakfast show, on national American television. I would, I, I don't say this uh, to be silly or facetious. I honestly would struggle to remember the last time a player went on the Today Show mm. the Monday morning after a Sunday victory on the LPGA Tour. Yeah. that's This is what we're talking about here. So America screams out for a champion and they don't necessarily struggle on the men's side of the game. Mm. You know, Scheffler's had the mantle for a couple of years now, but you've got so many supporting acts, uh, whether it's the what is considered now the older guard of Spieth and Thomas, whether it's the emergence of Burns, a two-time champion in Morikawa, you know, everyone's favourite other guy, Tony Finau. Like, they don't struggle on the men's side. Mm. They've struggled for a little while on the women's side purely because of the depth of women's golf across the world, particularly the emergence and the strength of Asian women's golf, whether mm-hmm. it's South Korea, Thailand, incredibly, our very own, you know, Hannah Green, Minji Lee. So Nelly Quarter has carried the hopes of America for the last couple of years. And not even she, she's had cut through in that space, unlike any other recently in the American market. I don't think she's ever walked off the green on a Sunday from an LPGA to a victory to a phone call from a 
Today Show producer to appear on an American national breakfast show on TV mm. the next morning. This kid is and, – and what will be interesting will be the ability to manage this moving forward. Totally. Right? Because, yeah, I think I think she, she said on the Today Show she'd had in the vicinity of 500 messages on her phone. Like, this is – it's the classic case of the shooting star – so early in the career mm. and the ability to put the right people around you and maintain it because it is it is without question that the golf itself is there. Mm. You have I a look. Think. There's a stat, stat from Justin Ray. Last 12 stroke play results for Rojang. Win, T12. Win, 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 win. That was the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Fifth, win, win, win. That's the NCAA Individual Championship. And win debut on the LPGA tour. Wild. The golf's there. It's yeah. literally going to be about everything else and how we keep a level head, two feet on the ground, train on the tracks, keep it moving forward because it could be an incredible career. Two final things. It's not like she beat a nothing field either. I think that's that's important no. to, to remember. Um, you know, We'll roll through the top 10. Cupcho names the Cupcho a shock. Buhai, Maguire, Sasso, Kang, Kiriaku, Thitical, Sagstrom, Jin Young Ko, Minji Lee, Cheyenne Knight, Nordquist, Peterson. Like these are all the names that are behind her. So that's it, it was a very strong field. And just secondly, and, and lastly, I, I think it shows the strength of the college system. I know there are so many different ways that you can go about getting your card, getting experience, but the college system has grown up so tremendously in the past 10 years, particularly to develop competitive and world-class ready golfers, um, particularly coming out of those bigger schools, particularly coming out of a Stanford in, in that space. I mean, it's got such a wonderful golfing history but the college system is developing genuine stars early. So that's all I wanted to say. That's my last two points. Just wrapping up the Australian results uh, at the Mizuho America's Open. You mentioned um, Steph Kiriakou and Minji Lee as you ran down the leaderboard there. So Steph Kiriakou at T10, highest finishing Aussie. It's a great result for Steph, to be honest. She's only finished uh, four shots back of that playoff So mm. and takes home tick over 50 Grand US for her efforts. Minji Lee, top of 13. She'll be disappointed, to be honest. Um, she was at the pointy end in the third round. Uh, mm -hmm. She was top, top of first, in fact, uh, to have yeah, a 75 on Sunday uh, is not going to get the job done. So there and thereabouts, but knowing the standards she holds herself to, she should be disappointed. Uh, not necessarily an Australian, but we always like to talk about Lydia Ko, tie for 33rd. Grace Kim in a tie for 43rd. She finished the tournament three over. And then the remainder didn't make the cut. So Karis Davison uh, missed the cut, as did Sarah Kemp and Sarah Jane Smith. Those are the Aussies and Australasians in the field roots at the mm. Mizuho America Open. Um, staying in the States, US Open men's qualifying. Uh, we spoke about this a fortnight ago, a number of Australians got themselves through to sectional. The last opportunity to book your place 
in the Men's US Open coming up in two weeks' time at the LA Country Club. Uh, plenty of Aussies with chances. Only one emerges to secure his place, and it's not necessarily the one you'd expect out of a list of names like uh, Leishman, Ogilvy, uh, Warren, Gale, uh, Rain Gibson was there. There's plenty of Aussies doing it, but it was, in fact, Koala Carl Phillips, mm. himself a Stanford man, uh, still playing his college golf in the States. Uh, he actually won his sectional qualifying uh, to book his spot uh, as the only other Australian who'll enter the field for the 2023 Men's US Open Druids. Yeah, quite a phenomenal result, actually, for, for Carl Phillips to get it done has had a massive 2023 and I think maybe just to, to frame up some of the context, I think it's worth uh, mentioning scoring average of 70.44 uh, all pack 12 first team. I believe Stanford, um, I just closed the the tab, but I believe Stanford were the, the men's champions this year as well. So he's, uh, he's been there for three years. He's a junior. He'll be going into his senior year if he opts to to take that, which I suggest he probably will. But yeah, pretty phenomenal result for him to to not only get through but to go on and win um, is yeah something I'm sure he's going to look back on in very fond me- with very fond memories and beating two uh, fellow Australians in that field, one of which was Mark Leishman at T8, who um who uh, unfortunately missed out, but. Yeah, I'm sure Carl will be looking back with with very fond memories and and looking forward to what's to come at at the LACC, which is going to be essentially uh, a home game for him. Uh, having, well, not really a home game, but it's in California and Stanford. You know, it's not too far from there, so he'll uh, he'll he'll enjoy playing at the LACC. I'm sure. So yeah, massive massive props to Carl Phillips. You want to just run down? I know you've got a list there of the other Aussies. You mentioned uh, Leash finished T eight in the same qualifier that Carl Phillips won. Uh, he was quite close there for a period of time. Leash he finished his round earlier than a lot of the field, and unfortunately just dropped out of the places available at that event. Um, as you mentioned, finishing T eight, but just a, a little run through of the remainder of the Aussies who yes. unfortunately missed out on a spot in the uh, the Men's US Open. We did have a good good contingent going through. Uh, yeah, Leash, as you mentioned, uh, Travis Smythe uh, missed out. He was a, a few shots back at T21. That was in uh, Rockville, Maryland at the Woodmont Country Club. Uh, moving over to LA, there were 89 players for five spots. Matt Jones was T13 and Grant Booth. Neither of those made, him, made it through in North Carolina. Uh, Rain Gibson, unfortunately, withdrew. Um, I'm not sure what the story is there for, for rain. Um, and Jimmy Zeng, uh, who's a, a Kiwi amateur, he finished 54th up in Ohio. That I think this was the biggest, um, the biggest qualifier, uh, 103 players for 11 spots. Uh, we had five players heading through there. Um, we're not heading through, but five players competing. Jeff Ogilvy withdrew as well after a, a 78. Nick Voke, uh, who was uh, is obviously a Kiwi, he missed the cut. And then making the cut but not getting through, Aaron Badley, T24. Our good friend Dave Michaluzzi, uh, T31. And Daniel Gale, T43. Up in New Jersey, uh, Harrison Endicott, T14. Justin Warren, T18. Both of them were pretty close, but um, unfortunately neither getting through. And then the last one, Hamish Murray, the amateur, uh, in Georgia, uh, unfortunately, not getting through finishing in thirty first. But uh, yeah, there were some some big names to miss out just more broadly as well. 
marshy. There was a, a list that the uh, PGA tours put up as well. Uh, guys not like Kramer Hickok and Troy Merritt, uh, these guys who weren't automatically qualifying in, they, they missed out. Obviously we touched on Mark Leishman, uh, up in, uh, Ohio, which I mentioned was the big qualifier. Um, I suggest that is because that's where we had the PGA tour event. Uh, mm. the following players missed out big names, uh, in here, Eric Van Roy and Cameron champ, Ben Griffin, Aaron Badley, Kevin Chappell, Kevin Tway, Mal Nardi, Nick Watney. So some big names missing out through there. Um, and then other than that, it wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, too many more to report back, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately some, some names who, uh, won't be teeing it up at the U S open Michael block. Of course, he shot to fame a couple of weeks back and mm. has really shattered back to earth. Uh, Ludwig, <laughs> Ludwig Aberg, Aberg. He's a, Aberg, um, yes. Aberg, yep. Yeah. Yep. He's uh, highly touted. I think he's playing it. Gee, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it might be at Texas tech. Um, He's highly touted as well for a, uh, to have a, a very strong career, but um, just rattling off a few names there for you. So, yeah. Also interesting uh, that I kept an eye on the live players. There are a number of live players who uh, threw their hat in the ring. Obviously you mentioned leash, unfortunately mm -hmm. missing out. Sebastian Munoz actually yes. finished third in the event that Carl Phillips won. So he's going through as is the Mexican Spieth. Carlos Ortiz, uh, he qualified himself, I think, in second or third position at his sectional qualifier. So a few live players uh, successfully uh, making their way into the field for LA Country Club. Um, I, I really, I must say, I really enjoy that process. Mm. It's unique. Uh, they are pretty happy with themselves, I think. Uh, <laughs> the usga with that process yeah uh and and you know the from many one type taglines that go along with it but i i enjoy it i love the fact that particularly so many of our aussies get the opportunity to go over and have a crack which is great so um just final point on that you were right with uh, ludwig Abert at texas tech by the way not sure if you saw um jeff ogilvy mm. was in fact listed as jeffrey Ogilvy, interesting uh, on on the scoring. So I'm not I'm not sure if that's just by virtue of being a a, a prior winner yeah. that you get the distinguished title of your full name. But he was in fact Jeffrey <laughs> Ogilvy uh, in the scoring for his sectional qualifier, where he uh, yeah he was not not successful. Um, Drudes, just briefly wrap up. Uh, we are going to try and sneak this under an hour as we usually do. But some news on the home front. Uh, a further announcement on tournaments and dates of mm. significance coming up in the Australian summer. Yeah, so probably the the, the biggest one that came out uh, in the last couple of weeks was that the Australian Open uh, will return to Sydney, um, the Australian and the Lakes Golf Clubs uh, hosting the, uh, the tournament. That will commence the Thursday, the 30th of November to Sunday, December 3. Uh, obviously, the week before that, we'll have the Aussie PGA up in Queensland. So uh, those two events will kickstart the DP World Tour. Um, and, of course, we will again have um, the Australia, the, the Men's Australian Open, the Women's Australian Open, uh, and the All Abilities Championship will, um, will also um, be running at the same time. So there's a fair bit to, to get through. Obviously, that format was a little bit... Um, mm. was a little bit 
I don't know. It, it received mixed reviews. I think probably even yeah. even from us, we weren't we weren't entirely sure on how it went. So it'd be interesting to see how it goes uh, again. Um, but yeah, I, I am very much looking forward to this. It's obviously a course that's hosted it many times before. Um, so yeah, it's it's if you are interested in reading the uh, quite lengthy. Um, <laughs> The quite lengthy article that was put out by the the uh, Golf Australia, you can do so on their website, uh, and that gives you all the detail there. But uh, yeah, in short, the news: the Aussie Open heading back to Sydney, Marshy. Wonderful, it is good news. Uh, we we do like to see. I mean, New South Wales has been neglected in general, uh, and I say that as a proud Queenslander, as uh, you know, having the PGA Championship. Uh, and you know, a firm and staunch believer uh, in the sand belt, but we have some fantastic courses, yeah, uh, particularly in the Greater Sydney area. So it's good to see it heading back to Sydney. Uh, that'll just about do us. Um, I'm conscious of not blowing this out, but as we've been recording, mm. the official announcement: a four-year deal for Ange Postecoglou at Tottenham Hotspur. Is that right? Yes. I am nervous. Okay, interesting. So this is the first Australian, uh, context, the first Australian ever to be appointed as a manager in uh, undoubtedly and all you La Liga and Bundesliga uh, and Serie A fans, if we want to stoop that low, Mm. can go heave because this is the best league in the world and I won't hear any different. This is the first time an Australian has been appointed to manage, and I also say this with respect. This is a this is a big club. Mm. It's not Manchester United. It's not Liverpool. It's not Arsenal, but it's a big club with big money behind it. So, yeah. this is a significant moment mm. in the history of Australian football. Yeah, I, I, I'll I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm nervous, and, and you know what? Maybe we should um, we should get someone. Maybe we'll get Garby on to break Garby, this down for us because Garby this is probably back to Garby for a while. It'd make a little bit more sense coming from. I, I guess my nervousness on this comes from a couple of reasons. One, uh, being the manager of Celtic, you know, there's not a great deal of competition up in Scotland. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got Rangers, um, and that's that's essentially it. Secondly, mm. uh, well, there's probably two two more things. Uh, there was a campaign run by the a number of Tottenham fans sort of advocating against Ange Postacoglu coming in. So he's got his back against the wall with a few people already. And thirdly, obviously, Harry Kane um, is is linked to be leaving Tottenham Hotspur. If he leaves Tottenham Hotspur, I don't know where that kind of leaves Ange in, in all of this. Maybe it's a good thing because there'll be less pressure on the, him. Maybe there is – maybe it's not a good thing if he, if – if he does stay, then he's got a world-class striker up front. I'm nervous because Tottenham Hotspur expect big things. They their their goal is to win the title. It's not to finish middle mm. of the pack. It's to to win the title, and and that's exactly what he was uh, aiming to achieve at Celtic. Uh, but I, I just think it's in a little bit different circumstances. Big club competing against other geographically located big clubs as well. Yeah. I think yeah. That that's a massive piece. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic achievement for Ange. I'm just nervous for him because I think he, you know, he, I can see a world in which he's gone in 12 months because people are fickle 
and the EPL is fickle. And I truly hope that I'm wrong because I like him. I bloody love him. I think what he did for the Socceroos was enormous. And that's my uh, thanks for coming to my TED talk. It's a good show of faith from Spurs. Oh, it's huge. Uh, I mean, there, were, there were some rumors around about a two-year deal with a uh, with an extension option, and it appears as though it's four, I believe. So that's, I mean, as as we as we well know, um, whether it's the Premier League, it seems particularly prolific in the Premier League, but the NFL is much the same. Mm. Length of coaching contracts really means very little. Wow. It's 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 surface level stuff. But at least from the outset, it's a good show of faith in the club. Uh, I take your point. I take your point. I think particularly um, w- with the proximity of their closest rivals, he finds himself coming into the job with Chelsea trending down mm-hmm. um, for the first time in a long time, but Arsenal couldn't be trending more up. Correct. And they seem to have, having placed a bit of faith in Mikel Arteta, are reaping the benefits now. You know, I, I expect them to get stronger for next year. You know, mm. they really threat for a significant period of time. Ultimately, Man City won, which makes no one happy. Let's be honest. Mm. Um, mm. But I expect Arsenal to get stronger. So it, it's it's an interesting time to be coming into the role at Tottenham because you know those games and that rivalry, particularly with Arsenal, is incredibly strong. I the thing that leaves me confident about Ange is I feel as though this has almost happened every time he's taken a job. Totally. And I'm not comparing apples for apples, but. This happened when he took the role at Brisbane Raw. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, who's, who's this guy from South Melbourne who's mm-hmm. been coaching in the NSL and why haven't the Raw done what they always used to do and try and get some, you know, burnt out bloke from Europe or coaching Uru or Red Dragons and the J League and come over and, mm-hmm. and they plucked Ange out of, not obscurity, but they plucked him, you know, and brought him up to Brisbane and he goes and wins three titles. Mm-hmm. And then he jags a Socceroos job, does a great job there. And then... I, I I remember the clips. I can't remember the guy's name. It might be Ali McAleish. There's a, there's a clip that's like famous. It went viral. Talk sport in Glasgow, I think it was. Mm. And it was this guy. Like the news broke, and he saw it on his phone. He's like, "Who's who is this? I've I've never fucking heard of this bloke. Yeah. I cannot believe." And like, fast forward three years, and yeah, sure, domestically they've won the treble crown. The competition, you know, we're playing Hearts of Mislothian. Like, yeah. awesome. But he's got them back into Europe, and yeah. they played strongly in Europe. Mm-hmm. He's more importantly galvanised the city mm-hmm. and galvanised the club around him. I saw an interview with Joe Hart, who like was glowing about this. Is a guy who played at Man City, he's played in the best leagues of the world, played for his country for England, and gone. And he's now at Celtic, and was absolutely glowing about mm-hmm. him. So something he does better than maybe most coaches I've seen across the board in Australian sport is the ability to grab a group really quickly hmm. and take them on a journey. Yeah. And he'll do he'll do an incredible job of making all of the outside noise really irrelevant. And you know what? If Harry Kane goes, I'll tell you what he'll have. He'll have a cash a po- pocket yes. full of cash. Yeah, correct. So he he'll he'll walk in there and he'll have one conversation with him and it'll be along the lines of I want you here if you want to be here. But yeah. If you don't want to be here, don't waste my time. Correct. He's not gonna he's not he's not gonna kiss his ring. He's yeah. not gonna be a Harry, we need you to stay. Yeah. So if you want to be a Tottenham player, be a Tottenham player. If you don't, piss off. Yeah. Because we'll take the cash. Uh, I just like I agree. It it is it is susceptible to so many things because it, the the Premier League is so fickle. Yeah. But 
I just he's got this incredible ability to to bring a group together mm. and, and and achieve. And I think like realistically, I I mean expectation management. Tottenham aren't going to win the league next year. They're probably not going to win the league the year after that. But if they can get them playing regular European football, and we're not, we're talking Champions League, we're not talking Europa League. No, regular Champions League football, and competing as a top four, probably top two side, it will be an incredible success. So, totally agree. Totally agree. That, that, that's the challenge, though. And if he doesn't do yeah. that, it's very so this, quickly turns around. This for me becomes about like there's probably two directions your career goes in here. It's it's like it is the four. It's the it's seeing out the full contract at Tottenham, and maybe you get renewed, or maybe you've had such good success that you jump from there to respectfully to Tottenham fans, a bigger club, mm. whether it's a, in the Premier League like a Chelsea or a um you know, or is it a launch pad to Germany or Spain or. Like that, that's truly a possibility here with this as a launch pad, yeah. or it can go the other way. So it's it's fascinating, but I think it could a couldn't be happier for him, and b for Australian football, it's yeah, it's, yeah, enormous. it's a huge moment. It a is huge, huge moment. There's a great Anywho, um no, there, just lastly, there is a we don't necessarily plug other podcasts. No, we do actually bugger it. Uh, the Howie games. I mean, you you'll have to go back miles mm. to to find the episode with Ange Postacoglu, but it's a fantastic listen. It's pretty mm. in my top five. I haven't listened to the Howie games for probably the last three or four years, but you'd have to go back a long way and find it, but it's absolutely worth it. I'm sure if he's got, if Howie's got uh, any marketing sense, he'll be, uh, he'll be bumping that one. Uh, I think I've already seen it to be up, honest in the last so, couple of days in anticipation of this uh, decision. Massive Carlton Nuffy, Ange. Like, Is he? Massive Carlton Nuffy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loves it. Well, it might, might be his only downfall, but true. Uh, that'll do us for this evening. Um, yes. Episodes coming your way. Obviously we are again, uh, on the precipice of another major. So mm-hmm. go through our usual uh, preview of the US Men's Open coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Keep your eyes out for another giveaway as well in Men's Major Week. Uh, we've done something a little different. Uh, obviously, for those particularly on the East Coast, particularly in Queensland and New South Wales, this is a big time of year, the state of origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, kicked off with Game 1 in Adelaide last week, uh, one of the all-time great Queensland performances I've ever seen. Uh, sees them leading the series uh, one zip heading up to Queensland for game two. So we, in advance of game two, are going to do a state of origin of golf Yes, episode. Uh, harder than it maybe somewhat appeared on suggestion. I think you tossed it out and I was like, fucking great idea, Dreads. Yes. And then started, started doing the ticking and... Oh, shit. It's fair to say, look, what we've done, we've broadened it out. If it was just yeah. Queensland and New South Wales, would be fine because both of those states are pretty stacked, to be honest, yeah. particularly Queensland. Incredible, actually. Yeah, yeah. stacked Queensland is. Correct. Um, but we've decided that we're going to do, so it's a four-ball format. We'll pick, we'll pick four players, male or female, current or former, dead or alive, doesn't matter. We're just picking your all-time four-ball from the states of Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Western Australia, South Australia, and then, and I say this with the greatest respect to our listeners in the Northern Territory, the Australian Capital Territory, and Tasmania, 
it was difficult to fill out a four ball uh, for those regions. So we've come up with an allies concept, mm-hmm. uh, which will be a four ball covering the NT, the ACT and Tassie. So just reiterating, that's a four ball, male or female, dead or alive, current or former, the best four ball from the States of Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Western Australia and South Australia and an allies team consisting of the Northern Territory, ACT and Tassie. Yes. So we will reveal ahead of game two of the State of Origin, our State of Origin of golf. Yes. Which will be a lot of fun. It will be, and I think it will blow a lot of people's minds because even today <laughs> you were saying that you had wow. some issues with a particular state. And I'm going to go back to the drawing board on one of my yes. states, to be honest, because they've lost, uh, well, two states have lost some players that Correct. Uh, yes. I was not previously aware weren't, in fact, born in yes. those states. So that's what we're going for is, is the state that the player was born in because yes. I think the rules of – the 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 rugby league state of origin are yeah. a little yeah. little more blurred. It's so it's um, important to distinguish that yes, we aren't necessarily following the eligibility rules uh, of the national rugby league. Uh, yes. We are in fact following the eligibility rules of the nineteen three podcast, yes. which is the state in which you are born, born, um, irrespective of where you played the majority of your junior or in fact senior golf. It is the Correct. state in which you were born. Yes. Um, Send us your thoughts if you've got it. If you've got some. Yeah, I was going to say it's done one state in particular wonders. Um, reverting back to that rule. <laughs> uh, one, one state has come from the clouds, to be yes. honest. Yes, yes. So I was struggling to fill a four ball, and now they have multiple major winners. Yes. Um, so <laughs> that's that's really good gear for them. Uh, yes. And yes, uh, w- whether it's prior, if you're listening to this now, or post after you listen to the episode, we would welcome uh, your feedback on our state of origin four balls. Yep. That'll do us, Struits. Been that a pleasure will. as always, my friend. Look forward to having a chat again next week and being back in our listeners' ears. Uh, Until then, stay safe, take care.